minus 20 seconds. Back at it, the Dream 3 Podcast, here for episode 11. Neil is battling a flu. We call it the Jordan flu game. This is what it's going to be tonight. I'm co- I'm COVID negative, so we're all good. COVID negative. It's okay. We're 250 miles away from each other anyway. So That's right. Uh, episode 11, remember, we're brought to you by protectyourslabs.com. Use code DREAM3 to get 10% off your products. Always protect your high-quality slabs especially if it's a LeBron James car that's worth over half a million dollars. Do it. Do it. Or even... you got one of those. Uh, I don't know. I saw I saw Jerry post some awesome photos of some cards, uh, some LeBron autos in his... Not uh, me. In his product. It's not me. Uh, but we also got Graded Card Solutions, gradedship.com. Use code DREAM15, get 15% off your purchase because you can't trust UPS... Or the post office to ship your cards without damaging them. We all run the back. That's that's true. As as Neil just collapses everything that's on his table right now. Okay. Pretty much. Chill out, chill out, chill out. But if you've been following Neil's Instagram page, you have seen an amazing amount of game used autographed cards. Dude, your Rob Gronkowski was sick. Like I, I you're just your Brian Erlacher card was sick. Like you're 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 getting way ahead of me. Like I, I you're very happy that I scored these these Ed Reed cards, which was nice. Both of them games. I, I picked up that Ed Reed. I told you about that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. So that was good. So game used. That's where we're going. That's that's our future. That's kind of where we're pointed at. Game used for uh, for because you never know what what fanatics is going to do. So that's going to be our our. Our look towards the future, but enough about us. We have a very special guest today, uh, legendary Brownsburg High School football player, played at Bowling Green State University, was the MAC Defensive Player of the Year in 2012, was drafted in the 2013 NFL Draft, the 198th pick overall in the sixth round by the Houston Texans, won a Super Bowl, played on a torn calf. He's the strongest guy in Brownsburg. He's also the best looking guy in Brownsburg. His name. That's for sure. Is Chris Jones. Chris, welcome, my brother. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Let us let us be very frank up front. Me and Chris have been very good friends for well over 15 years. So and no one no one cares about Neil. And we all went to the same high school. Neil's a little younger. No, Chris beat up on me when I was a freshman, when, he, when you guys were seniors. Well, that was the point. That's what you get for coming up to the varsity team your freshman year, because I remember picking yeah, on all I got you guys. On. Like Kurt, uh, uh, John Runyon's younger brother. I remember blasting him. on. He was on kickoff return, and I just straight up depleted him. But, hey, that's what you get when you step up with the big dogs. That's so right. let's break it down. So Chris... Chris was not a original Brownsburg guy. Chris, you were originally from Michigan, and you ended up moving to our high school. What was it? Our sophomore year? Yes, middle of two thousand was it January two thousand seven, sophomore year. So we're in the weight room, and I see this this 
large human being come into the weight room while we're working out wearing a letterman jacket that looked like a michigan style letterman jacket and i thought well, how are we recruiting college kids already and you know you come to find out like you know not only is he the strongest person in the weight room he's also probably the hardest working guy there and he was basically the best player on our team for years to come because our team, especially our year, was pretty trash. There was there was five of us that actually ended up playing college football. But let's be honest, our our whole and I'm not gonna get into the coaching situation. You know how I feel about this, Neil, but we'll we'll skip right over that. We know where that's going. But but I feel if I don't say so myself, if if Chris played in the days of social media the way we are now, he would have not went. Not to say that Bowling Green State University is not a, is not a good school. It is a fine school, but I think Chris was well under recruited. Neil, your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Obviously, Chris tore it up while we were in high school. Chris, you went, ended up going to Bowling Green State University. Um, I know we were really excited, you know, all, all five of us who were really close on the football team. Um, kind of that experience, I, I think it was your freshman year, you get to play in a bowl game. I think it was the Idaho Potato Bowl. And mm-hmm. I think we were texting back and forth because your first, your, your first kind of like level of competition, you're going up against future first-round draft pick Mike Idupati. Like, tell me about that experience. Man, I, I, I tell you what, there's there's one memory that will forever be in my mind about that game and Mike Ayupati was there was one play, I think we were on the 12-yard line, and I think they, they ran a dive, and he literally took – he just did one, one reach step, took me in his left hand, and started pushing me back about three yards. And then our middle linebacker came to fill the A-gap, and he just grabbed him with his right hand, and they just started walking <laughs> both of us back. <laughs> that forever is just in my mind with how strong that man was. But, uh, yeah, but super nice guy. I talked to him after the game. I got a picture with him and all that. <laughs> but uh, you know. I remember I remember seeing the seeing the picture after the game, and I remember watching it, and it was like, you know, that's kind of a, a you know, for a, for a freshman, you know, you started as a true freshman, like yeah. – like right out of the box, like this guy's a, a first round draft pick and, you know, ended up having a great career in the NFL. Like, you know, that's, it was that eye opening as of, Hey, if I want to get to the next level, like this is kind of how I, I need to be this big, this strong, this fast, or I need to work harder. Like, did that like kick start that fire going into your sophomore season? I would, I would say so. It was a good point of motivation. Um, yeah, I mean, just seeing somebody that big move that fast and understand that that's what pretty much everybody is like in the league. Um, it definitely lit a fire underneath me, and I knew during the offseason I had a lot, a lot of work to put in. Um, but, yeah, he's a, he's also very special. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely playing against Mike opened up my eyes. For sure, for sure. And then we go through, you know, the rest of your, your Bowling Green State University career – um, I feel like as the years go on, you kind of not re- you separated yourself not only as a great player, but I think a great leader on that team. If you look at it, you were, you know, all MAC first team a couple times. You ended up being the defensive uh, player in the MAC conference of the year in 2012. I mean, what do you take away from your your time at Bowling Green State University? Like the ideas that, like, because when I know for myself at Indiana State, like. 
I feel like some of those off-season workouts or, or preseason workouts that you know that pushed you mentally and physically to the max. Like yeah. you look back now, and and you you know one guy will post a picture of maybe one of those workouts, and, and it's kind of euphoric. Like you know what, we made it through that. We can make it through anything. Like, and you can use that for the rest of your rest of your life. Can you take away something from Bowling Green? that that you did that you're like you know because I did that I can go through anything forever wow um yeah you're talking about you know winter workouts and the uh, the mat drills um you know the way that builds your character because you go through so much adversity and you know you're there with your teammates I think there's a combination of hey we're going through this together um I tell you even within my uh, my personal life now when I go and I and I go to work, you know, my mindset is still very much so team-based. And I think it's because of playing football for so long, going through what I went through at Bowling Green, um, you know, building camaraderie during those times. It make it lets you understand how important that is for whatever you do. Um, being able to work as a team and work with others to, uh, you know, complete tasks that aren't always easy, um, mm-hmm. get you through the hardest times. I definitely took that with me through the NFL and, you know, through my career now. For sure. Now, Going into your like, were you getting because you you were starting to become a good standout player into your sophomore year? Were you getting NFL interest going into your junior year? Were you you know were scouts showing up to practices? Because I know even at at state we you know you would see a couple scouts here or there for a couple guys, but you never knew if they were they were looking or talking to anybody. Were you being able to recognize that? I know there was a few guys, obviously, my my junior going into my junior year that were going to be seniors that were getting looks. Um, I think kind of the talk, there was a lot more talk about me potentially getting into the league at that point. Um, but nothing specifically that I remember as far as my, I guess, interest from any scouts or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. I just know guys who were coming in to check out other players that, you know, scouts obviously come in and they look for the guys coming in for the following year. Um, so I know I was probably on some radars, but nothing was mentioned to me for sure. So, so you end up becoming Mac defensive player of the year, you know, great honor. You're, you're the best player in the Mac. You get invited to the NFL combine. You know, that's one of the dreams of anybody who, who plays football and who wants to make it to that league. Like, what's that feeling like, like getting not just not a regional combine, like you're one of less than 300 people that did get to walk inside Lucas oil stadium and, and do the underwear Olympics as, as we call it, you know, we did that for, for all the years throughout high school, you know, going to the Nike combines and the skills and drills camps, but you get to do it on the biggest stage in front of the biggest people in the world. Like, what is that experience like? Like I, I sit in that stadium all the time, but to be able to, to compete, you know, athletically in front of people in your underwear, that, that really care about how fast you are and how big you are and how big your hands are and, and what I would say, what your junk looks like, but that's, I'm throwing it out there. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure that's taken into consideration. Yeah, I'm sure. It, I'm sure it is. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, where were you or, or how did you find out you got invited to the combine? And then once you got there, what was that feeling and experience like? Um, so I was actually, uh, like a, a late, um, enrollee to the combine. Um, actually my college coach, Dave Clawson did me a real solid. Um, he knew, uh, I think maybe Scott Frost, that name kind of is what's coming up right now as far as the director of the combine. I might be wrong with that, but, 
I remember he actually called the director of the combine and told him that he needed to get me in. So I, they almost didn't even give me the invite until coach Clawson, um, called and got me that invite. But, uh, but I remember talking to coach Clawson and him actually telling me like, Hey, um, you know, congratulations, you're going to the combine. So coach Clawson actually told me after his conversation with um, the director and then the director called me and, um, it was crazy. Cause it was, I think it was, that might've been the beginning of February and obviously it was in the, at the end of February. So I, I had already been training, getting ready for pro day, but to find out like here in three weeks, I'm going to the combine. I'm like, Oh, well, that's <laughs> that training up now. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, but then getting there, man, it was just, uh, it was a real surreal experience, you know, you know, watching, even playing college football, you watch some of the greats play. And when you get there and you're watching, um, who were the other defense linemen I was with, um, trying to, I mean, you had your Sheldon Richardson's of the world, um, you know, Star Latoule, uh, I think that was his name. Yep. He was there. Um, you know, what you see how those. Oh, 2013. 13? Yeah. There was a lot of defensive linemen who went that year. Yeah. There was 13, 14, or 13? 13. 13. 2013. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you get there and you watch all those guys run, man, and you see them move and. Um, it's just, it's surreal because you're just like, can I keep up with these guys? Can I do what they do? And then you, you find out that, you know, you, know, you are, maybe you're behind a little bit, but you know, football, football's football. Like, so Neil, some of the defensive tackles in that draft, John, Jonathan Haskins or mm-hmm. Haskins, uh, Kiwan short, uh, Jonathan yeah. Dinkin. He went to Purdue, didn't he? Yeah. Sylvester, Sylvester Williams, Sheldon Richardson, Starlo Tulele, mm-hmm. Sharif Floyd, like oh, yeah. there, there were some monsters in that draft. A lot of those guys went first round that you just mentioned. A lot of those guys went first round because there's a good stat at the end of this that we'll get to once we get into your you career. Went, you went in a good year because 2014 was an even better class. Was I'm trying to remember? Aaron Donald. Oh yeah. Oh, get off Aaron Donald's sack, Neil. <laughs> hey, Neil, David Neil. Clowney was there. I worked that combine. I yeah. worked that combine in 2014. I was Neil's on the medical staff team for that. Neil's a big uh, Aaron Donald honk. Yeah. Big Aaron Donald. He's a freak. <laughs> yeah, I, Thank you, Chris. Thank he's you. A he's, a, he's a monster. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but were you battling an ankle injury at the combine? Yeah. So I actually went down to train at IMG for a few weeks. And uh, during one of our test runs, I was actually kind of embarrassing. I was running a 40. But I had a, I had a, I had a pair of cleats on, and uh, they uh, was it. Help me out here, Neil. Is it, is it inverted? Yeah, probably. Inverted, inverted my feet a little like too much. Your ankle and like that. Yeah. So in the third step, I just popped my ankle, and I finished the forty though. Uh, finished the forty, and then kind of went off, and I knew I did something wrong. Um, just had a small sprain, but it was like right before we went into the combine. But I was able. It doesn't to- help. That's for sure. It didn't help, no. no. No, it didn't help because, unfortunately, you know, and I don't want to throw this out here, but Chris did have the slowest 40 out of the defensive linemen. But, you know, it doesn't matter because you got drafted. He still got drafted. He still got drafted, and there's a bunch of guys on that list who did not. So, yeah. Did I really have the slowest 40? You did. Oh, my gosh. That's you did at the combine, <laughs> but you, you picked it up uh, at your pro day. Yeah. Yeah, you're. That's one stat that I do remember. Like we, me and Tommy were watching it at home, and we were just like, "Ooh, like 
it's part of it, you know. It's whatever, whatever. It's it's who lasts the longest, right? So we're we're past That's right. You get a ring. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Um, so we're past the combine. We're going into into the draft. You have your agents. Like, what are you are you hearing anything? Is your agent telling you, hey, we're gonna go in this round? These teams are calling me. Were you having any chatter? Um, because I know you did you did your draft party at BGSU. Um, <laughs> that was I don't I don't remember if it was on TV or if I just saw pictures of it or if there were cameras there. I know at least BGSU had cameras there. Yeah, but but were you hearing, you know, you know, is it one of those things where the first two days you you know where you're going, you're going to be a later round pick, so you don't watch the first first day, or is it kind of like one of those where oh I got to watch every round because I don't know. Uh you know I watched the first day just because I like to watch the first day. Um, that it, there was no there was no word about me going on the first day at all. I was actually my athletic trainer at Bowling Green worked with the Bears, and then. Um, Obviously, Coach Clawson was um, good friends with the guy or Shiano with Shiano at Tampa Bay. Um, so the the those were the two teams that I heard were most interested were the Bears and the Buccaneers, and they said I would go anywhere between the third and the fifth round, both teams. Um, so now I'm just starting to think that's just what every team says is somewhere between third and fifth if you're like a mid round guy. Um, but that's what I was hearing beforehand. So I, you know, obviously going into that um, that second day, I was like, oh, maybe it's possible, and then. Second day goes by and, you know, we're still continuing the party and it's, you know, you're just kind of sitting there at that point. You're getting calls from uh, different teams saying, hey, if you don't get taken, we want, we'd love to have you as a free agent. Uh, so I was getting a bunch of those calls. So finally, when I got that call from, from Houston, it was, uh, I didn't know what it was going to be. <laughs> so, yeah. It was more of a, a kind of like a, a sigh of relief because, you know, you get enough of those phone calls and it's kind of just like you're sitting there. And at that point, you get to a point where you're like, well, I don't care where I'm drafted now. I just want to play football. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's where I was the whole time. Honestly, I was like, I just want to, I just want to go somewhere and, you know, be given a chance. Mm-hmm. If you weren't drafted, did you have any idea of where you wanted to go? Um, there were a couple teams. I got to think back now. Uh, I know Tampa was one of them just because of the Shiano connection and, they ran the four three system there, obviously with Gerald McCoy, and um, I was seen more as like a, you know, a nose tech or a three technique. Um, so I felt I'm kind of more of like a vertical type player. So I feel like that was somewhere I would go. Um, I'm trying to remember where my agent and I were talking. I think there was one more team. I want to say even the Patriots. I know I didn't I didn't fit the system, but there was like some talks between the Patriots and my agent. Um, yeah, that, those are the two teams that come to mind right now. Interesting. Very interesting because I remember check. He knows what he wants. Of course. Of course. And you know, what's funny is like, you know, I'm a big draft honk and that's, that's my sacred day. Now that this was before I was racing. So I was able to sit down and and watch and I would watch every pick. And I remember Chris getting picked because I was at my parents' house. I was upstairs in the loft watching it. Boom. All the pictures texted everybody like, you know, freaking I'm more excited than he is getting drafted because, you know, one of my friends just got drafted to the NFL and, you know, I'm just some crappy FCS football player. And, you know, here's what, here's, what's funny, Neil. And all my friends have championship rings for football, except for me. 
Every single one of them. Two of them have national championships. One has a conference championship. One has a Super Bowl ring. I got nothing. And I got nothing too. Well, I both have great personalities. I have great person. I'm hoping for a drag racing championship ring. That's I, all. I, I don't do. think that wins you a championship though. It wins. It wins it your life though. It does win you. <laughs> it does yeah, and then you get to life. have a kid. Oh yeah, I'm so excited for that. That's gonna be fun. That'll be fun. That will be fun. So you get drafted by Houston. Is it now? Kind of. This is where I really get interested because you know I don't know what it's like. Like, is it? I get drafted. I got to be in Houston the next day. I I believe that's how it is. Kind of now. Uh Respect the the draft. Um, When I was actually there, I had about two weeks of like kind of like a, a buffer. So draft happened, and I had to report May 9th. That you you might you probably will remember the weekend that the draft happened more than I would the days. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was about two weeks, and I had to be in uh, Houston about the seventh or ninth of May. Because okay. they had rookie camp, right? Yeah, they, they had, had rookie, do rookie camp. camp first that that second week. Mm-hmm. Well, they yeah they do rookie camp right before the the start of um, OTAs, I believe, because I think they're do they were doing off season workouts before then. Um, Doing the, uh, I remember just, that because they did that after I I left and so I worked with the Colts in 2014, the 2013 2014 season, and we they had the draft and they still had the draft in April, and then we didn't see the guys until I think mid May I think it was like May 15th May 13th something like that mm-hmm. before so they had yeah they had two weeks before we saw them and in the in the room and then we had to do physicals and all that stuff. Did they do uh did they do practices with the Colts like the actual rookies? They did rookie they did rookie they did rookie practice like rookie OTAs. Okay. It was more like player development than it was true practice and stuff. Oh okay. And they had a lot of their like free agent guys who like they were just trying to make rosters. So they, mm-hmm. I mean, you had a couple of the vets um, there kind of just to help lead, but, but it was mostly just the rookies. Mm-hmm. So Chris, when you get into Houston, is it, you know, it, it's a crash course in, you know, learning the playbook, learning everything in the system. Like, do you feel that you're trying to play catch up? Is the game faster or is it just playing football and I just need to learn the playbook as soon as possible? Um, well, it was a big adjustment for me because playing at Bowling Green, we played strictly just a 4-3 system. Um, but I was I was put straight at nose tackle in a 3-4 system, something I've never done before. So learning the playbook was a little bit of an adjustment. Um, I don't think that was as hard as me learning how to play nose tackle. Um in the NFL against the centers that can move the way they move. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably the biggest adjustment for me was just learning how to play, you know, no weight on my hands, kind of like a Vince Wilfork style, just, you know, brush my fingertips on the ground and try to you know, sustain two men, you know, all day. That was something that was a little bit bigger adjustment for me. That's yeah. what I was about to ask. Was Vince, was Vince on that team when, when you got drafted? No, he, I was with Vince for two years in New England. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I knew he went to Houston, but I couldn't, yeah. That was after when he moved. That was after. Mm-hmm. Okay. After, after his Patriots run. Yeah. Um, All right. 
So like, like you say, you, that big adjustment, because I remember, you know, after seeing you later on down the line, you went from being, you know, a different type of body at BGSU to like when you were in the NFL for, you know, a year or two, like your body changed, you leaned out a lot. You got, I'm sure you got stronger. You looked bigger. Like, is it, is there a huge difference between like, say a college strength performance and meal regiment to an NFL? Uh, Meal regiment, yes, and and offseason uh, training. So, as you know, in college, you're going, you have your winter phase, and then you get into spring ball. You're still training then, and then you're in your summer phase. And your summer phase lasts in eight weeks, and then you get a week off, and you're going straight to camp. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's in the NFL. You say you're done playoffs. You, you're on your own. Um, you don't go to the playoffs. You're done January first all the way through until April, middle of April. So you're on your own to do whatever you can in that time being. Um, then when you get to the, the, uh, the lifting in the NFL, it's nowhere near as, um, as rigorous, I would say. Um, the training is much more tailored to, I mean, cause at that point in the beginning, you I think you might have what 80 something guys, Neil, is that right? 85 to 90 guys. Yeah. They really start beefing it up once you mm-hmm. hit like May and yeah. June. then they start bringing all these no names in. Mm just to fill spots essentially. Yeah. And with, with being a strength and conditioning coach, you can, since you only have the players for really what, eight weeks, there's not really a lot that they can do. Um, so a lot of it's just, they, they expect you to get your work done while you're, you're off. So from January to April, you get your recovery in and then you have to do everything. You have to find your own trainer, um, to train yourself for three months, really. Um, and then you kind of hit the ground running. They just see where you're at, see if you're in shape. Um, you're not really making a lot of gains within that program, um, at least with, with the actual team. You make a majority of your gains with the guy you're training with. Is it? Are you, like, refining your skill in football more, more so than trying to beef up, I guess I can say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Not as much during that that um, January, April time, but when you do get with the team, there's a lot more refinement of skills and explosive mm-hmm. movements, a um, lot less uh, strength training gotcha. uh, than people would think. Because I think once you get to the NFL, like you, you see training and mm-hmm. getting ready for football is your job, where in college you're kind of split 50-50 between classes or whatever mm-hmm. to training to football. Like Once you hit the NFL and you, you see this kind of hard knocks or – or the Amazon prime series with the Cardinals or something like that. Like, you know, guys have to be, you know, training when, when everybody else isn't training, because I, you know, your body is your job. Now your body is what's going to take you as long as it goes. So whatever you're doing, look at, you know, LeBron James who invests a million dollars a year into his body, into his recovery, even Tom Brady, you know, Chris, Mm -hmm. he spent some time with Tom, like, how regimented he is on taking care of himself and look how long he's been playing. Absolutely. Um, and you alluded to diet. I think that was the biggest difference for me um, was the, my eating regimen. I mean, being with the team, um, you know, that now having the finances to, you know, buy food for myself and, and buy the proper food. Um, that's where I think the leanness that you started to see in my body is where that really came into play. Um, you think that was because of the chefs too, that you guys have? in the NFL? Yeah, I would say the chefs are great. Um, I mean, being in New England, I don't know how many chefs we had. Um, 
I mean, you would go in and, you know, you had breakfast, lunch, and dinner there um, during the off season. You'd just go and grab whatever you want, whatever you need. Um, we had a diet, registered dietitian on staff that would work with each player individually, specifically specifically the ones who needed to lose weight or gain weight. Um, if you were a middle, if you were a middle guy where you just didn't, there was really no adjustment needed. Um, they didn't work with you as much, but um, I remember the, the lady we had in Miami, um, I think her name is Mary Ellen Bingham. She was one of the greatest dietitians I had. I, I had actually lost weight due to my surgeries and I was down to 280 pounds and Miami wanted me heavier and leaner. And so I ended up, thanks to her, because she was on me, you know, for eight weeks, no, seven weeks straight, I gained 11 pounds of muscle and lost a pound of fat. Wow. Seven weeks. Wow. Um, it, it's science. I mean, I'm doing a, I'm doing a, a regiment like that for, for no gi worlds for jujitsu. And <laughs> I started out at 217. I'm down underneath uh, 208 and starting working my boy back up to 215. You know, I'm stronger than I've ever been. I'm leaner than I've ever been. And, you know, people who know what they're doing and, you know, who, who take the time and are really good professionals doing this, like they can change people. Now, the hardest part is a person like me sticking to the regiment, you know, eating six, seven times a day, drinking two and a half gallons or two gallons of water a day. Like that's, that's tough. <laughs> that's the hardest part. Yeah, that, that is tough. And that was the one thing I loved about being a lineman is literally I go and I run my butt off and I just go home and I just a lot of times I'm just like, Chris, you can eat whatever you really need to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so I would have um, the right things, eat as much as I want. Um, you know, and that's that's what I did in Miami is she said, you can eat these foods. You can literally eat as much as you want of this. <laughs> and that's pretty much where I went. And, Sorry, Neil, no cake and ice cream. No, those were limited. <laughs> <laughs> So let, let's go back to Houston as we're getting through the dog days of training camp. So you actually end up getting cut. You were part of the last round of cuts mm -hmm. of that training camp. Like, did you feel it coming? Did you see it coming? And what's it like having the Turk come by and say, coach needs to see you and bring your playbook? The Turk, is that where that That's, term is? So the, the term the Turk is like, it, it, like if you – follow uh, Italian history, kind of like the Godfather. The Turk is someone who's good with a knife, cutting people off. So people who who are, who are come to get the players that tell them they're being cut are nicknamed the Turk. We had, we called them the Grim Reapers. <laughs> <laughs> like that one better. <laughs> but um, honestly, my rookie year, I had, I had no clue. You know, I was kind of oblivious. I thought, you know, being a, a draft pick, I had some security. Obviously, I was hurt. I I, uh, I strained my calf pretty good. I think it was two weeks into training camp, and I was out for about a week and a half. And I was trying to get back. I knew missing time wasn't good, so I, I kept trying to get back. And you know, maybe came back a little too soon. I wasn't, you know, that that was a stupid decision on my part. But uh, um, you know, it was. I I felt like I was okay. And then you know, you get that, you know, that person walked by you. You see him take everybody else, and you know exactly what they're there for. As soon as they come up to you at your locker. Um, they try to be inconspicuous about it, but you know, it's, they can't, everybody's there. They see you get pulled out. Yeah. Um, so, but it, yeah, it happened. And literally I felt like it was almost like, like hours later, I got a call saying I'm going somewhere else. That's what it felt like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At this point, so. so is it, is it like, do you find out first or does your agent find out first? Uh, me getting cut or getting picked up? 
getting cut. So getting cut, I find out first. Okay. Um, so they, they bring me up as soon as it happens, I call my agent say, Hey, I got, I got cut. Um, you know, then we kind of start planning from there and then that's when they start contacting teams, whatnot. Yeah. Getting to work there. So yeah, like, like you said, you know, you, you were going to the next place, which was Tampa Bay, Mm -hmm. Tampa Bay picked you up before the season. And, but you know, it only lasted nine days. Like, was that kind of, were you still kind of nursing that injury and couldn't get on the field? Uh, I mean, I don't think that was the biggest reason. I was still kind of recovering. I had the cap sleeve on. Um, it wasn't 100%, but um, I felt good enough to go out there and play and do well. Um, the reason they gave me is that they had a cornerback go down or some. they needed to pick up another cornerback, and they said they needed to let somebody go, and I was that guy. So yeah. They cut me, and um, actually I was picked up the next day. Which picked up by probably the the best team you could get picked up by, you know, the New England Patriots. So you started 2013, you're mm-hmm. picked up by the Patriots, and you know, what a better team! I can't. It's really hard to say that as a Colts Colts fan, but what a team and a organization to be picked up by and learn from. You thinking about the guys that are on that roster, especially on that defense, even the coaching staff, like. What as a rookie, like there's no better situation you'd want to fall into. So how is it like you get to New England? Like, is it a, a you've been at two teams already, even though it's relatively for a short time? Can you feel a cultural difference in teams, or is there a camaraderie difference between teams that you can feel? Uh, you know, the biggest thing really between Tampa. In Houston, I went in Tampa long enough to kind of get a feel for the difference there. Um, the one biggest thing I usually tell people when you get to New England, you feel the atmosphere, the business-like atmosphere, um, the way everybody carries themselves, the way things are addressed. Everything is just different there. Um, the biggest difference, you, biggest thing you get to find out is that there's no players' lounge in New England. Um, I don't know if very many people know that you don't have a, like a true players lounge. They might have one now. I don't know if they petition for one or whatnot, but uh, they, uh, yeah, literally during training camp, you play basketball in the, uh, in the trash cans and locker <laughs> game. Uh, but uh, yeah, they had film rooms. You had sleep rooms. Um, there was nothing as far as any sort of lounging leisurely room that you can go in. And obviously the training room, you go to the training room and take care of yourself, but, you know, you, you feel that and you start to talk to players, they, they kind of just let you know how it is there. Um, it's understood. Um, you talk about how, you know, they just move players around. It's because they, you know, obviously they have a system and you know that system going in and players talk to you and they tell you, Hey, this is just how things are. When you start to see guys move in and out. Um, yeah. You find out really, really quick what the Patriot way is. Good, bad. For me, it was great. Um, I mean, it fit my personality. You know, I'm very much so just to go in, get get my work done, get it get it in kind of guy. Um, and, it, and it worked out for me. Um, obviously, Bill, very much so, you know, businessman and is, you know, the greatest coach to ever do it. And, you know, he, he always knows where to put people. And fortunately, he had a place for me. So, mm-hmm. so you come into a great situation, I believe, the defensive tackles at that point, one was Vince Wilforth. Mm-hmm. Who was the other? Was it Richard? Richard uh, no, 
It was uh, Tommy Kelly. Tommy Kelly. Played for the Raiders, Raiders for a long time. So you get to kind of sit and watch for mm-hmm. for a little bit. Um, still getting some playing time, um, playing on special teams, like you know how it is in the NFL. If you want to make the field, you got to be playing at special teams. You know we've been taught that our entire life. If you want to get on the field, you start at special teams. You know, mm-hmm. do whatever you want. Like my goal in life was, if I was ever going to make the the NFL, I was going to be a wedge buster. Like I'm going to sprint down the field and throw my body into whoever for mm-hmm. whatever reason. So, you know, is it one of those things that, you know, you're petitioning yourself to get on the field by just like hopping in line or is it kind of like you got picked to play a little bit of special teams? So me, me being a defensive tackle, special teams wasn't really in the cards for me, <laughs> um, unfortunately. And I was, it was always explained to us um, when we were Bowling Green, Coach Clausen's like, hey, if you guys want to make it, you got to be able to play special teams. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't my deal. 5-3 <laughs> doesn't help that. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, honestly, man, I, you know, getting there, my whole thing, my whole mindset was just, you know, I'm going to put my head down, I'm going to work, I'm going to ask the right questions, uh, make myself available. Um, do what they need me to do. Um, you know, at that point it was, like you said, it was Vince, Tommy. And then I think it was Marcus Forston. Um, I don't know if you remember him. He was actually the number one defense tackle coming out in our class. And then, um, and then, uh, Joe Villano and myself, that was our, those were the defensive, the inner defensive linemen. Um, obviously you had your Chandler Jones, Rob Nikovich, all those guys that were in the, in the room also, but, as far as interior, that those were the guys, and mm-hmm. um, it moved pretty quick. I was inactive. It was funny because when I was with uh, the Buccaneers, we played the Jets, and then Thursday on Sunday night, and then I got picked up by New England. We played the Jets on Thursday night, <laughs> so <laughs> I was inactive for both games, but I was there. <laughs> um, and then we played the Buccaneers week three. Um, I was also inactive for that game, so I I didn't even I just did practice. I was pretty much like a you know an active roster practice squad player at that point yeah um i think it was uh week four we went to play i want to say man i forget who it was i want to say it was the saints or no atlanta atlanta um i remember that's when uh or was it you remember do you remember caleb i don't remember who the next game was i want to know off the top of my head i want to say no because tommy got hurt first so it would have been it would have been cincinnati i think Oh no 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 no! Sorry, I keep going back and forth. It was it was Atlanta because that's when that's when Vince tore his Achilles. Yes, yes, that was Atlanta. And then um, the very next game was against Cincinnati, and Tommy Kelly tore his ACL. So just like that, I end up finding my way in, into being a starter. I think it was week six. Yeah, it goes. Uh, so you went Falcons uh, week four. Week four, week five, Cincinnati, then New Orleans. Then New Orleans, yeah. First start was against New Orleans. So that's kind of that mentality of, you know, next man up, you got to be ready to play. Like um, like you said, like when I remember, you know, you were getting – you weren't seeing the field and then, you know, Tommy Kelly gets injured. You, you see a little bit and then Vin, then I hear Vince gets injured and then you're kind of shoved into the mix. Like – now I'm, I'm watching you know my best friend just start uh, on an NFL football game, and I'm like, holy bleep! Like it's yeah. go time. Like there's no you know there's no easing into this. Like it's game time right now, playing defensive tackle. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was honestly, when I was sitting there and acting, my thought was, I don't know if I'm going to, I'm going to make it here. I'm going to keep going. But you know, after, obviously after, you know, um, Houston and Tampa getting cut and I get to new England, I know and I'm looking at their system. Like I've never done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where I fit in that system, but again, I just kept putting my head down and work and learn the playbook. And you're absolutely right. That next man up, that's, that's huge, especially in, with the Patriot way. They, they look for whoever's going to be able to come in and do the work. And I think that there's no other organization that looks to their players and um, does the process like New England does because they just bring in guys you would never think that would be able to start really anywhere else or play anywhere else, and they make it work. Now, is it with- a scheming oh. thing? Go ahead. Or is it a scheming thing, or is it like they look for certain individuals to fit how they play and then like mm. to go off of that like – did you feel like their scheming was set up for more success more so than another team's playbook? Uh, so I would say it's a little bit of both in what you're saying. I think when I ended up, it was cause it was me and Joe Villano, both of us were 290 pounds. Um, and you know, they're used to having your, your Vince Wolf work. He's 330, 340 pounds and Tommy Kelly who's 320. Um, so at that point, obviously neither one of us have played in a three, a true three, four system. Um, and that's where I think Matt Patricia is a genius. Um, you know, he sees us and he's able to make adjustments on the fly. And obviously we had packages at that point, but he ended up implementing certain packages that worked with us. Um, you know, we ended up playing more of a four, three combination. Um, I remember being moved around from nose, nose to three technique, obviously to shade to five technique. Um, sometimes I was even out at nine techniques. I was just moved around a bunch. Um, I think they, they do that and practice to see if they can trust you doing it. And then they just go from there. So there's a, there's a lot of planning that they have in the, in their mm-hmm. in the system over there. Mm-hmm. I think the greatest thing they, that New England did was bring Matt Patricia back um, for that defense. I um, remember you telling me that you, he's a legit rocket scientist and he's so smart. Mm-hmm. I remember we were training in the off season one time and that you told me that and I was, I, that always stuck with me. Like you, you see him on the sidelines with his beard and his pencil mm-hmm. in his ear. Like, and you telling me that I was like, wow, this guy's, you know, well, I mean, look at Chris, like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He guy is very, very smart. Legitimate rocket scientist. Like that's what he got his degree in was, mm-hmm. I think it was like aeronautical engineering or something, something <laughs> like that. So yeah, something ridiculous. That's uh, crazy. But to continue with what you were saying, Neil, um, later on they started drafting guys that they wanted, like your, uh, like they liked the four three system. So I think that's when they decided to bring in Dominique Easley, uh, okay, very yeah. four three kind of guy. But once, I mean, obviously things didn't work out with Dominique as well as I think they had hoped, and that's when they go and they draft a Malcolm Brown. Um, you bring Malcolm Brown in and Alan Branch, and those guys are both massive uh, human beings, and they play a different style of football. Um, that's where even when I got cut. Like Bill's like, hey, we're just going a different way with our defensive line, um, as you can tell. So uh, he's very respectful about it, but he gave me, you know, the reason why he was doing and when he was doing it. Um, gave me a chance to get on with the team and uh, was very honest about, you know, they're just going a different way with the defensive line. So for sure. Um, so, but in 2013, you know, we mentioned that draft class earlier, you know, as a rookie, you're second in that draft class in sacks that year, leading that leading that draft class for a long time in sacks, and then ended up getting passed at the very very end. But you know, 
not bad for a six round draft pick who got let go by two teams at the very beginning. You end up getting you know, the second most sacks out of anybody out there. And, you know, I, I named off some of those players and those are big time guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, rem- I remember specifically, I'm pretty sure it was Sheldon who ended up getting, then he ended up getting more than six. I, think, I believe it's Sheldon. Yes. Sheldon and I had, we had a pretty good relationship. We trained together at IMG and, um, we ended up kind of becoming fond of each other throughout our time in the league, but, uh, yeah, six sacks. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> um, did, did you ever like get a sack that you were like, holy cow, I just sacked Andrew Luck? Uh, throughout my whole career? Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I would say, I think the, the one that always sticks out with me is Aaron Rodgers. I got a sack to Aaron Rodgers. I'm like, man, this is this guy's one of the best to ever did do. Did you it. tell him he's a douche and he sucks? <laughs> Big oh no, <laughs> no, I am very much so not a trash talker when it comes to. <laughs> I'm very much so a breather. I just try to get my breath. <laughs> so we got a question from the audience uh, from Mikey Ray: Was Bill loved by most or just respected? Uh, I would say definitely respected. Um, there's a lot of guys that really just I mean, you can even hear it in the media some sometimes uh they just did not like bill um like i said you have to come in with a certain mentality uh, he likes those guys who are about you know about the work about the grind um who are willing to learn um, if you're one of those adaptable kind of people he's all about helping you um if you're one of those guys who comes in you're all about yourself and you know your success your money all that stuff um he honestly just isn't always there and willing which understandably if you you know if you want to have guys who are if you want to building, if you want to build a championship team, you want some guys who are about about the team, not as much about yourself. So yeah, you, who didn't like them were more or less those guys. Yeah, you have guys with different agendas. You know, I've heard a lot of former players say that you know there are guys who don't really love football who are in the NFL who just want it for the money, and, mm-hmm. and that's you know it's hard to imagine that, but some people are just you know. God-given athletic freaks that can play the game of football, and that's what they do for a job. So, you know, I can understand Bill's Bill's point of building a team around guys who love football, who love to work, who love to learn. Like, you know, we see the same thing in racing. If you don't have a team that's experienced, that loves to race, that loves the grind, like you're going to lose a lot of races. Right. Absolutely. So we move on. Let's go. Let's go a couple seasons down the road. So you're on the Super Bowl winning team against Seattle. So funny story. We're in the same place at the same time. We're testing in Phoenix, Arizona. The Super Bowl's in Phoenix, Arizona. Chris's hotel is like, you know, five minutes from me. So we go have dinner at uh, this steak place. And is it is it the week of the Super Bowl or is it, or is it a couple days before the Super Bowl? Uh, I want to say it was the uh, I want to say it was earlier in that week. Like it might have been Tuesday. And uh, while we're at dinner, you tell me that your leg or your calf or your kid something's jacked up on your leg, and I'm thinking, dude, this is the biggest game of your life of anybody who's ever played football wants to play in a Super Bowl, and you're like, man, you know. I don't know what to do. 
and I'm he, then I I'm watching the Super Bowl and opening kickoff. Who do I see sprinting down the field? I'm like, well, doesn't matter if he's hurt or not. He's going. <laughs> how many how many shots of Tordal did you have that game? Ah, Tordal, five hundred CCs. No, honestly, I had, I had my uh, – I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about this on here, but I had, had the Tordal, and I think I had a one-and-a-half bike in before the game. Matt, Pat McAfee talks about it all the time. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I remember seeing uh, the divisional championship game against the Texans, 30 guys lined up outside the docs office ready to get their Tordal shots. So I was like – like, so for me, like – I know what happens. I know everybody's getting in. <laughs> oh, I took. I had two wonderful. Uh, it was either it was either Vicodin or or Oxy before we played Illinois State because I I had broke three or four ribs on my right side. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way I'm about to play in this game because every time I would get touched, like it would take the wind out of me. So I was just like, you know, I'll take them. Let's go. You know, it's one of those sacrifices that, you know, I'm going to play in this game, especially, you know, Chris, in your position, like it's the Super Bowl. I, you chop my leg off. I'll hobble right. down there. Like I'm not getting off this. So, you know, it's, it's a great game. You're in the final play. Like, mm-hmm. so let, let's be honest. Are you thinking that it's going to be a run play? You know, initially when we were, when we, cause I, I was in that play with the crazy catch. Yeah. Went out, and then um, obviously Dante had that amazing stop on on Lynch, and then we came back in with goal, and we thought they were going to run the ball. Obviously, there was something about their demeanor. As you, if you watch the highlight video, um, I think it's in the DVD. We end up going with a different goal line package at the very last second um, because they saw the, the personnel and Bill the whole time is watching um, uh, Carol on the sideline. And there's something kind of iffy just about the stance. I thought they were going to run it because, I mean, they're in shotgun no matter what to run the ball. Yeah, uh, Marshawn Lynch, why Why would you not run it? But then I'm looking at uh, the tackle, whatever his name is, I was lining up against uh, the right tackle because he ended up playing center the, the next year. Um, but he he doesn't seem like he's actually, you know, you get those those before the snap reads. I'm like, oh, this guy's not going anywhere. He's not firing off. So we they start past that and we're like, okay, you know, obviously in that moment in time you're just going, you're reacting. And then they throw the ball, and obviously Malcolm makes the best play in Super Bowl history, maybe NFL history. Um, you know, which is a combination of him and Brandon Browner, obviously. Um, but yeah, that was uh but I'll say beforehand there was a little bit of an inkling. Personally, I didn't completely know if they were gonna run or pass. Um, but Bill knew all the way. Bill knew all the way. That's crazy because, you know, we're all watching the game and we think, you know, we're getting down the goal line set. You have Marshawn Lynch, who's a freaking tank. Like, why not? Why are you not going to hand it off to him? But, you know, you throw it, they throw the interception. You know, there's the the shot of you jumping up and celebrating, which is awesome. And then you get, you know, all the cool press. Like, you have the newspaper. Like, what is that moment like of – especially since none of us, you know, a very, very small niche of this world will ever get to experience that. And, you know, you have guys who've played 20, 20 years in the NFL who've never even won a playoff game. Like, mm-hmm. you win a Super Bowl. Like, what is that feeling that you've accomplished the highest thing in professional sports or playing football? Man, honestly, I don't think you understand the feeling until you get about a week and a half out from the game. Because the the whole next week you're still living 
that moment almost, if that makes sense. You go through the parade. Um, I went to like the Bruins game, the Celtics game. You go through this whole like agenda you have for the next week. You're still living on this high. And I think you finally come down and you're able to realize a week and a half later, like, wow, this is everything that you worked for in this game. Really, you know, you get, you just accomplished it. Um, but in that specific moment, I remember just having this full rush of emotions. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I don't know if I wanted to cry, if I wanted to laugh. You know, it was just one of those crazy experiences that are just, it's just surreal. You can't even, I don't have enough words or, you know, emotions to really describe what, what that felt like. Um, you know, I always say, you know, it's, it's up there. It's pretty close to the birth of all three of my sons, but um, I have to give them the edge because those are my baby boys. So, <laughs> but yeah, dude, it's, it was just, it's surreal. It's a very unique experience. Um, like you said, very few people get to experience that. And it's just, it's very, very unique. For sure. And then, you know, it's, it's the deflate gate year. So you make the Super Bowl rings for your middle fingers. Um, it, <laughs> yes. I don't, yeah. Neil, it, so if, so deflate gate year, not like, you know, Ryan Grigson can go suck one. He's the worst GM in NFL history. He should be like washing cars right now. Um, but the Super Bowl ring, it's a monstrosity. I remember putting it on and it covers like my other two fingers. Um, it's an amazing piece that you see, like when you're growing up playing football, like that and the Lombardi trophy are the two things you take away of. If I ever can achieve that in the game, that is what I want. Mm -hmm. And to finally achieve it, like that could be you know to to me being the fanatic that i am that's like the most prized possessions i could have before you know my son's born but we'll i still got some time for that so i i will say other things until then she can't hear me she's in the other room um but like you know i've been to canton i see the super bowl trophy you know the one the next year that's gonna get built and like to to touch it to like to be so close to it like that's what you want to achieve. And, you know, you got to hold it. You got to, you know, kiss the trophy. You have a Super Bowl ring, like you achieve the highest thing. So that is, you know, an amazing accomplishment. And then, you know, now you got to, does it motivate you to want to win another one? Or you kind of feel like I got here. I'm kind of content with what I got. You know what? Uh, my whole trip after that was a little unique. Um, we talked about the injury. I would say at that point, I absolutely wanted to win another one. That was my initial motivation. Um, not, you know, you, cause I had felt the feeling before that year before what it was like to go home without it or going, you know, we, we obviously lost in Denver to the, in the AFC championship game. That was a completely different feeling um, on that plane ride home compared to the, the winning of the Super Bowl. I mean, you, you don't feel the pain for a couple of days after that. You, you still are just living that high and, um, you know, a lot of that in the year prior to that, you just go home and you've never felt more sore in your life. Mm -hmm. So I, it, it definitely gave me a lot more motivation to win another one. Um, but time after that, there was, there's some different talent challenges that I was handling that kind of kept me from feeling that. Yeah. So after that season, I believe you have off season surgery and that kind of puts you out of the entire next season. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, lower leg injury you're you're going through rehab we're, we're kind of seeing it because i know i was i was kind of like keeping up on you kind of seeing what's going on and you know 
Patriots say that they're moving in a different direction. So you end up going to Miami next. Mm-hmm. Miami next. And I feel like, you know, back when we were in high school, your favorite team was Miami growing up, growing up when we were in high school. You always had Miami gear on. I was like, dude, you're from Michigan and you play college football in Ohio and your favorite team's in Florida. Like, none of this makes sense. Yeah, but, dude. But, but do you, man? <clears throat> Just do you. So so playing in in Miami, like how is that? Like I always feel like I was a Miami Hurricane fan, and I still am, even though they got destroyed by Bama yeah. this weekend. Um, That's not their fault, though. <clears throat> Alabama's just that much better than everybody. I know, I know. <laughs> but but like, how's like Miami Heat like playing football in Miami Heat? Yeah, uh, I can tell you this right now: it's nowhere near as bad as Houston Heat. Really, really, like, you get. You get a very, very nice breeze there in in, uh, in Davie, Florida. You just get a nice breeze from the ocean. For some reason in Houston, you just you got nothing, and you just you're just sitting there and you're just sitting in your humid sweat mess like all day. <laughs> Everybody's inside. Nobody wants to be outside there. It's just, you know, it's just it really wasn't too bad. I enjoyed being in Miami um, as far as the weather goes. It wasn't. It, what I liked about it is it didn't change. You knew exactly what you were getting pretty much yeah. every day. Uh, maybe rain. There might be rain every once in a while. So in that situation, I'm trying to remember who was there. Was Cameron Wake there while, while you were there? Yes, he was recovering from his Achilles. Okay. And um, kind of tell me about that Miami situation because you, you ended up having, was it two stints in Miami? Or yeah, so I, I got there in April. Um, they cut me right after training camp, and then they picked me up a week later. Okay. Because uh, let's see, you ended up you ended up wearing fifty two because I have two gamers in there in, in my closet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, did you? I'm trying to remember kind of that season. Did, was it the full season with Miami? No, so that would have been so 2016. I I played I think through Nove- the beginning of November, uh, the first eight weeks with Miami, mm-hmm. or really seven weeks, and then I got. Cut, and that's when I got picked up by San Fran. So I thought, yeah. So when you go to San Fran, um, this is another thing that I kind of want to get into. Like, it felt to me. So you were there, you know, a short time going in, but you ended up becoming a team captain. Like, tell me about that. Oh, so I mean, when I got to San Francisco, you're talking about San Francisco, correct? Yeah. So in, when I got to San Francisco, there was. A little bit of a rough way at that point. Um, I think Chip was in his second season there, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I think we were one in seven when I got there. Um, and we we only ended up winning one more game. Um, but I mean, at that point, you know, just being who I was and kind of at the point I was at, I was just trying to prove myself still um, that, I, you know, I was still able to do it. And so when I got there, even though we were losing, you know, I was still going in and had the mindset of getting better. I wanted to play. I wanted to start. And I ended up starting, you know, I think two games in. I was inactive again for two weeks and then, or one week, and I ended up playing and starting in you know, the next week. So um, I think it was – it was actually – it was a game ca- – I was a game captain uh, for the next game. I think it was second to last game of the season. So I remember it, was, it had to have been around the San Francisco time because that's when uh, – I think me and Stacy came over to the house and we went to go get B-dubs. Yes. And so 
deal. We're driving to go get beat ups and Chris's phone's plugged in um, to his car. And, you know, the text messages are coming across the top and Solomon Thomas comes over the screen and, you know, he was a first round draft pick. And I'm thinking, freaking Solomon Thomas is texting Chris. Like, this is, this is badass. Like all the dudes that like I'm looking up to, like, you know, my other people do the same thing to me. Like, you know, I, you know, Bill Goldberg and killer Mike, as I name drop people like bone crusher and stuff like that, people who are in my phone, but like, I have more entertainers than athletes and I'm like, dude, that'd be so cool to hang out and train with these guys. But that, but, um, so when we're starting to come up towards the end of your career, do you know that you've had a lot of injuries, a lot of surgeries? Like, is it you that makes that decision or is it your body just saying, I can't do it anymore? Um, no, it, it's kind of a well-rounded combination of, of all of all mm-hmm. of those. Um, obviously, having the surgeries didn't help. Uh, I wasn't moving nearly as well as I used to be able to move, and a lot of that was part of my game was my shiftiness and my ability to react, and I just didn't have a lot of that. Um, you know, then going from team to team, not sticking, uh, and having a family, and there was just a lot of there was a, a combination of a lot of life things that were going on, and. Uh, you know, I, I ended up just talking to my agent actually. And I was like, you know, these are my thoughts. I'm not sure how much more I can really go here. I've, you know, I've been pushing it. And at this point I had my groin surgery and I had retorn my groin, like I think it was three times during my rehab. And, you know, the last one was real bad and, you know, I just wasn't moving the same. And I talked to my agent, he said, normally in these situations, Chris, what we, what we try to do is, you know, we give it a time frame. you know, I was the start of the season. I'd already, I had played my last preseason game with San Fran, got cut, went back home, stayed there for a week, called him, said, Hey, this is what I normally do. We usually pick a date. And, you know, if, if you're done, you're done. If nobody picks you up. We'll just call it at that point. So we ended up setting a date for, I think it was October 11th. And this is the, uh, you know, the end of, or end of August. I gave myself about five, six weeks. Um, nobody called him. Nobody called me. Um, ended up just kind of calling it at that point. Um, yeah, it was a combination of a lot of things. You know, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm a big family man. I don't like being away from my, my family. So, you know, I hated having to travel out to, you know, every other state and missing my kids growing up and I'm um, just leaving them with my wife and obviously just not being able to move anymore. Just kind of, it, it was all kind of hit me at once. But are you more are you more relieved that it's over that you now get to t- spend time with your family or is it kind of like one of those things like when I was done playing football like you know that's all I ever wanted to do my entire life so it was tough for me even to go to the Colts games or w- to watch football for a little bit did mm-hmm. you did you experience that same thing or is it was it more of like you know I'm at peace you know there was one specific time I think it was, it was during that last preseason game with San Francisco when I, I, I knew I wasn't going to make the team, it was kind of at that point because I had played enough to know where I sat as far as the roster went. Still playing hard, not being able to move. I was I was sitting on the sideline just kind of looking up at the stands and just thinking, you know what, I, I think this is probably going to end up being the last game of my career. Um, I remember just tearing up. You know, you play football for you know, 21 years. I think at that point it was 21 years of my life, 28 years. So you're talking about a good majority of my life I, I played football, and it was – you know, a huge part of my life. And, and I started tearing up and just kind of 
kind of come to that realization. I think it hit me for the, the whole next week or so. As a, and then it started to kind of trickle as we got to that October time frame. Um, and then honestly, at that point, I, I had already kind of had a plan on what I was going to do next. I was ready to go. And, um, but there was definitely about a good month where it kind of hit me hard. Um, you know, you do something for so long. You just, it's hard to, it's hard to let it go. It's like you build a relationship with it. <laughs> you build a relationship. And I, I know for me, it's like you're used to being on the, a certain regiment, like a certain mm -hmm. I need to be here at this time, do this at this time. Like once you get done with that, it's kind of hard to, to get back into the grooves with things. And I think, you know, and I'll, you could say this to, uh, or about a lot of football players, like when they leave the game, their life, they try to figure out how to keep that same structured regimen of what we've been doing for, for mm -hmm. 28 years. And for me, 22 seasons, like, you know, I go, you know, in my personal life now it's wake up, go to work, go to the gym, come home, be with the family, this, and just try to keep the same regimen. And if, you know, if something gets thrown off, it kind of messes with you a little bit, mm -hmm. but you know, you got to be able to adapt, adjust and overcome like things that we've been taught growing up. Like it all, it all molds us into who we are today. So, you know, you had, you'd said that you kind of had a plan. You were thinking towards the next, the next thing in your life um, and kind of like, Jump back in. I know you were you were always big into strength and conditioning. You were always big into weightlifting. You know, we have the junior power Olympic team that that we all tried to be on. That that you know, me and Tommy weren't just like you know, we weren't as big or as strong, but you know, we gave it a shot. So you ended up uh, doing some sports performance stuff. Talk about that yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So um, so I was. I was rehabbing at St. Vincent Sports Performance in uh, at Clay Terrace in Carmel, and um, ended up building a good relationship with the the staff there. So when I ended up getting certified as a strength coach, actually in July, before I got to San Fran for my my last stint playing football, so I got certified as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and in November, I uh, got hired on part time at St. Vincent's, and um, I had talked to my past coach Dave Clawson at Bowling Green about, you know, my aspirations, what I want to do with my life. And, um, and he told me flat out, you know, Chris, whenever we have a position here open, I'm, I'm going to give you a call. Like, okay. Um, you know, fast forward to literally, I think it was New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. We we're in Tennessee. We're at the Grand Ole Opry, my family. and I get a call from uh, Coach Clawson. Say, hey, how, how are things going? Good, good. You know, did that whole thing. And say, hey, we have a position here as assistant strength coach if you want to take it. At that point, you know, we're trying to settle in back here in Indiana. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to talk to my wife about this one. And, uh, you know, end up talking to her. And, you know, I explained, you know, what the opportunity was like and you know, where this sets us. And um, we ended up taking advantage of it. We moved down to Winston-Salem. And I became an assistant strength coach at Wake Forest um, for about a year and a half. So, and I really, I really enjoyed my time there. I, I mm -hmm. loved it. And I still am super passionate about strength and conditioning. Um, as you know, what Coach Nice was to us, and, um, you know, I give him a lot of, you know, for for me and my development, I give him so much credit because I don't. I think if I don't make the move down to Brownsburg, obviously, and get around you guys and get around Coach Nice, I don't think my career is anywhere near where it's at. Honestly, I think you know, guys Just like to be Coach clear, it was all Coach Nice. It was not Brett Comer. 
just want to make that clear. Facts. Uh, yeah. And I think you can take this away from, you know, most players is the bond that they're going to get the most with is with the strength coach. Cause that's who we spend the most time mm-hmm. with. I can think of, you know, Brian Neese. And then when I went to ISU, Dave McManus are the, are the two closest guys that my development, not only as a football player or an athlete, but even as a man, like those mm-hmm. are the guys that push you to the limit and, and, and show you what you can become. So I agree with you. Like if it's not for those guys in our lives and, you know, Neil, you were a big part of the weightlifting program at Brownsburg. Like, you know, that's, that's what turns us into who we are. Yeah. And then man, and you talk about college training coach. Um, I'm a big emotional guy. You know, you know, this, I mean, anytime we lose a game, we, we just sit there and, you know, our eyes would just be filled with tears. And I remember, um, at Bowling Green, we actually lost our strength coach who had been at Bowling Green for 10 years. He ended up leaving, going to Michigan. But I remember what that kind of what kind of hit that was to us as a team, to myself. Um, he was just one of those guys who was super into development, not only as a as a player, as a lifter, but as a person. And um, you know, you talk about how important those guys are to a to a team and to you know success as a program. Like they're just you know they're just they're it, man. Like for, sure. for me, it was just having that coach who was always there pushing you. Is, you know, because we ended up losing our defensive line coach, I think, a little bit after that. But I, I, I didn't really feel the same kind of attachment. Uh, I didn't feel the same emotion of losing him as I did losing uh, Coach Hillman uh, when he left. So. For sure. Um, we'll wrap it up kind of with one more set of questions, uh, especially since, you know, our podcast is kind of – teetered towards the sports card world. We're huge football fans. You know, our number one topic is talking football, but sports cards. I know you're not a big sports card guy, mm-hmm. but you did sign for Panini. You had a 2013 select series. You had a national treasures card. I think that's it. But how does that come to be for you? Kind of, you know, a late round draft pick, mm-hmm. like, does your agent say, Hey, you signed with this trading card company. You got to sign all these things for us. Like, or you're going to be on a trading card. Like how does that process work? And I, I kind of remember this specifically. Uh, my agent did get with me about it. This is something that went through him. That, hey, we have this opportunity to, you know, you can make this amount of money if you sign these cards. And, I was, and he's like, it's through Panini. And I was like, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, yeah, cool. I can, I can sign all these cards. Absolutely. Um, remember they, they send you like this big old packet. So you have, you don't really get to see the cards. They can send you this packet of like stickers. <laughs> you get this massive packet of stickers and I'm sitting there signing a thousand little stickers. So I'm going down like, Oh my goodness. This, my, my hand is like cramping. I'm sitting here massaging my hand. I'm sitting at my kitchen table for like three hours signing these, you know, thousand stickers but so uh, were they all for you were they all sticker autos or did you ever sign anything on card i'm trying to think i honestly i don't remember i remember signing the stickers i don't remember actually signing any specific card because honestly i have over a hundred of the base cards that are signed i have the entire rainbow so the rainbow set is you're out of 99, you're out of 75, you're out of 50, you're out of 25, 10, 5, and the one of one. So I have multiples of each except for the one of one. Obviously, there's only one of those. So 
you know, anytime I would see your card on eBay or Comp C or or any places where we go look for cards, you know, I would snag it. I would, you know, pay way too much money for it. Man, your cards were at some points were going between a dollar fifty and twenty eight bucks. That's you know, back then before the market boom, it was pretty good. You know, for a relatively not Aaron Rodgers guy. I like I mean, that. I mean, now now we see card. You know, me and Neil, me and Neil got you know tens of thousands of dollars worth of cards, but but like my what we call PCs in the sports card community, which is personal collection. I collect primarily you because you only had the Patriots card. You had no other, you weren't on any other teams with, with card companies and Tucker. So you and Tucker, since you got, we're all close friends. Like those are my two PC cards. Like you Neil, have the select ones, right? I have all the select ones, and Is I have he the in a Patriots uniform and select. Yes, and I have gotcha. all. The, I have the national treasures also. I have the national treasures from ninety nine to five. <laughs> so, and my deal with that was, I'm going to collect all these. So when Chris's kids get old enough and they figure some things out, they can have them all. So it's for your sons. Whenever they get to that point where like they think it would be cool, they can have them all. And there's hundreds of them that i have and they're all either graded encased all the whole shebang bang and same thing for tucker once his son gets but for us being card guys like that's that's cool like i'm trying to work on a a deal with panini or leaf the two major trading card companies to do something with drag racing and it's it's a slow painful process but hopefully we get that done but because now there's like people are making a living on trading cards like Oh yeah. Millions of dollars in yeah. a single card. It's it's crazy. So well, I appreciate that, brother, by the way. I, thank you for doing that. I know oh, I love it. that and I have what? I have like what seven of your gamer jerseys in there too that I need you to sign. <laughs> yeah, I, I finally got a, a dolphin's jersey off of eBay to give to my grandmother. <laughs> so- <laughs> Caleb keeps buying all these jerseys, and I need those jerseys. So funny story. So funny story, Neil. There's one of his jerseys on eBay. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to get it. And he texts me. He goes, are you bidding on this jersey? I said, maybe. Why? He goes, I need this for my grandmother. Like, don't bid on this jersey. (laughs) All right. I got you. I got you. We're good. So I think I have – I got three Dolphins and four Patriots jerseys. So – I think if I, I've only had you sign one, so we're going to have to change that up because I need some more decor. I have my two college or my three college jerseys, so I just need your your NFL jerseys. And I'm still waiting on a bat from Tucker, but that's n- neither here nor there. I'll hit him up sometime. You're way more important to me than Tucker is. Don't tell him I said that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Hope he doesn't so, listen to the podcast. No, nah, he doesn't live. He, he's got bigger things to do. He's He's out there signing deals and doing all kinds of things, but. He's still with the Reds, right? He is still with yeah. the Reds. He yeah. won another gold glove. He really? um, yeah, he's doing pretty well. He signed a four-year, uh, like $19, 20000000 million deal. I think this is the last year of his contract. Um, they they keep bringing in guys or keep bringing guys up that kind of look like they're going to replace him. But Tuck, man, he his batting's so-so. But as a catcher, he, is a, he, he throws missiles. If guys try to steal on him, he's – destroying him so 
you know, Tuck's doing good. He's got a nice family, nice looking family, got a nice house. Good for him. He's living the dream. I remember seeing him and Gordon actually at St. Vincent's. I think we were all rehabbing at some point. Um, it was because it was when Gordon, hit, he had hurt his ankle, mm-hmm. ankle real bad. And then Tuck ended up coming in there. He was training with, uh, with the guys there as well. So I can't remember the older guy's name, but uh, his wife, one of the guys there at St. Vincent's that trained with you and Tuck, mm-hmm. um, his wife actually worked at the same salon as Stacy. And I met him at a Christmas party and started talking to him. And, you know, I'm, Told him, you know, I'm friends with Chris, and he goes, "Oh, I, Chris, jo- I know Chris Jones. I train train Chris Jones, and he's a, you know, one of the nicest guys I've ever been around. I'm like, wow, small world. Like everybody knows everybody, kind of, but you know, that was good. So, was it Greg, I don't remember. Older guy, like, looked like a doctor. Older guy, glasses. Yes. Oh, it must have been Daryl. Had to be Daryl. Could not. I, I remember Daryl. You remember Daryl Barnes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Daryl was my guy. That's who yeah. I worked with when I was rehabbing. Oh, yeah. I did a small internship with Daryl. Did you really? Daryl, oh, and then um, who's the other guy? Did there, there was Daryl? Yeah, my, my my wife is watching. Last name is Moore. Greg. Greg Moore. Greg Moore. Yeah, Greg. He, his daughters actually went to Brownsville. Played. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I, I I won't yell across the room, but thanks thanks babe for for helping us out there. Yeah, he uh he's actually the strength coach now at Butler. He went to Vanderbilt. Now he's the head strength coach at Butler. Yeah. Yes, I remember him going there for a bit. And um, but yeah. So, well, Chris, we've wasted way too much of your time for a podcast that no one's ever going to listen to. Just kidding. We have like 58 downloads so far of our podcast. Thank you for everybody who listens on Spotify. We have the Facebook page. We have, you know, me and Neil's Twitter. We have multiple Instagram accounts at Showtime Sports Cards at Doughboy Sports Cards One. Chris doesn't have social media, so don't bother him with that. Um, you got to listen to that interview exclusively on our social media and or Spotify. So, Neil, thanks for uh, champing this out with the flu game. That's right. I'm the real MVP here, guys. You are the real MVP. You know, think about that shirt right there. I think I got rid of all my hit of the week shirts from Brownsburg. I have no Well, this idea. is the only one I ever won. So I was like, I got to at least keep one of them, right? But so <laughs> Chris probably's got 40 of them. Quick, quick story. So I saw Kyle Scott this weekend at the U.S. Nationals. Really? So Kyle Scott has just got it. He's getting out of the Navy. He's been on a nuclear submarine for the last five years. He's super jacked. Dude still wears his middle school undefeated uh, sweatshirt. Me and Tommy also still wear that sweatshirt. It It's so weird that I'm 30 years old now, and that still fits me big. Like, how? what size was that when I was in eighth grade? Why am I still wearing this thing? But whatever. So once again, appreciate Chris for all your time, brother. Uh, obviously, you're in town. We needed to get together either at the gym at the house. I love food. You love food. Let's make a date of it. Neil, you are way too far away. I'm not driving four hours to see you. Unless it's three hours. It's unless, unless there is uh, food. I'm pretty and, sure I'm closer to Bowling Green than I am to Indiana, Indianapolis. I drive past Bowling Green all the time when I got to go race in Norwalk. So I, cause I know cause there's a Chipotle, there's a Chipotle <laughs> right across the street from the football uh, stadium that me and Cruz used to stop at all the time when we were going up there. 
So fun, fun fact for those of you who, who drive a lot, go to Chipotle. It's a really good Chipotle too. So appreciate it again. Remember, thanks to our sponsors, uh, protectorslabs.com slab protector and graded card solutions. Go to gradedship.com. Got another episode coming to you next Monday. We got another special guest. So keep looking at the social media pages to find out who it is. So, one more time, thank you, Neil, for joining us once again. Thank you, Chris Jones, Super Bowl champion. You can never take that away. We'll see you guys later. Peace. Peace.